0: My name is Harrison Wheeler, and this is the Technically Speaking podcast. I sit down with BIPOC designers, entrepreneurs, and technologists. We discuss careers, triumphs, their resilience, and the why behind their decisions. Before we get started with the show, I just wanted to plug our Patreon. If you like what you're listening to, and you want to support the podcast, For as low as $3, you can contribute monthly to help support the production of the show. You can contribute today by heading over to patreon.com slash technically speaking HW. I'll also include the link in the show notes. Donald Burlock, user experience designer and author of Superhuman by Design, joins the show to discuss his journey in the design industry and talk about the importance of authenticity in design. He shares his passion for using creativity to drive social impact and challenges designers to think beyond the traditional definition of design. Donald also reflects on the role of image and perception in the industry and the need for unification of communities. Let's get into it. My guest today is Donald Burlock, user experience designer and author of Superhuman by Design. Joining us from sunny San Diego. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming to the show. Thank
1: you, Harrison. And it is sunny and I love sunny at this time of the year. (laughs) So I'm doing fantastic. How are you today?
0: I'm good. This is like one of the few days where I'm actually, I've got a few back-to-back recordings, a lot of really good energy. I'm feeling great about it. I think. speaking has always been about like engaging with folks around, in and around the design community and around the technology community. And now Mm -hmm. we're in a phase where we're starting to really build that community. And and so the last probably, what, 30 days, I've hosted two meetups and really getting to engage in in folks in real life, which has been, it's been just like very uplifting. Energizing. It has to be energizing, right? yeah, Yeah, energizing. There's just... There's something amazing, and I'm sure folks on the call, you can probably attest this. there's something that is really gratifying about building something that people truly believe in. And so that's just like a brief moment of reflection. But yeah, thank you for asking. I think
1: it's important to emphasize that the journey of getting to this moment here today on this episode started so I would say in the cradle of community, right? I I felt like that was your intention from the beginning. And so every episode I've listened to, you haven't gone off message. It's always been within this cradle of we're building a community and this community has purpose it has amazing energy and now it's just translating more and more to these in real life
0: yeah. moments so i just feel like i'm part of
1: what's happening i feel like i'm part of the way now
0: oh hey you always have been anyway i know you've been we've been trying to connect for a long time a long like time. for for listeners years
1: like,
0: for years this is years in the making today this is this is definitely years in the making. We had like an info call before this and it was one of those things where we wish it went a longer period of time. but this'll just be a continuation of that. Yeah. Okay, hey, before we get started, I, d- I always love to get into a few icebreakers before we get into the episode. Okay. And one thing that I love to to kick off because it can go down any sort of path, a reandering path. What is something that you're currently obsessed with?
1: Currently obsessed with. Ooh, that's a really good question to get into it. (laughs) I can share with you what I'm thinking about a lot, and I don't know if I'm becoming more passionate or just if I'm obsessed with trying to get better, but I started playing golf this year and and I'm not a golfer. So I will caveat that by saying there are golfers who are people absolutely understand the fundamentals of the game and they play it. I am on this recreational roller coaster where occasionally I will find myself with some extra time, some extra energy. And now I'm getting to the stage of my life where going for a jog isn't really, as I would say, satisfying as it was years ago. Just the knees and things aren't working like they used to. But golf, for whatever reason, has now become my new passion. So I'm buying books now, (laughs) watching. YouTube videos on how to swing. I'm discovering that there's actually a lot of diversity in this new generation of golfers and people who are just loving golf and playing golf. Yeah. And obviously, there's companies out there that are taking advantage of that, like Top Golf, right? They're bringing people into the yeah. game. That's my new obsession or new passion. Amazing.
0: Yeah. So, are you like, uh, I'm not the most well versed when it comes to golf. I've done Top Golf a few times. People have filmed me and I look like Charles Barkley out there. It, it's not
1: good.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, it's terrible! Like I've got probably like three pivots in my swing, and then when I hit it, it, it veers off to the left. Where? How would you rate your game? Right? If we were to say, I don't know, is it fair? It, I don't know if I, would, I don't think it's fair to put you on comparison with a pro golfer. But like, how would you say your progress has been to being like a fairly on par? Right. That's the word. On par.
1: par <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Here's the wild thing I'm discovering about the game. It in itself is such a knowledge-based game, which Mm. in and of itself, I think, is bringing me to this place of discovery. And it's a discovery type of process that's telling myself, okay be patient you're going to be a life learner with this one this doesn't Mm -hmm. have necessarily the same instinctual nature that sports can have in general like i grew up in the midwest playing basketball playing baseball and in my experience you have the muscle memory just Sometimes it's genetics, sometimes it's just practice, but instinctually you can do certain things. You'll move quickly to the ball and people know how to orient themselves. People just are naturally gifted with speed and golf is so different. I think this is why I used to laugh. Right. I seriously, Harrison used to laugh at these 80 year old white women out on a golf course, putting it out 150 yards, right? It's like the length of a football field and they have the most graceful swings. And I used to think, oh, okay, that's what retired right. folks do. And we don't do that. Right. And now as I'm playing the sport, I'm like, wow, there's so much mechanics that have yeah. to be down in to go from taking something that's static, that's not coming at you where you can just react intuitively. And you have to put your body in motion and do something with it. And that requires right. like an entirely new type of muscle mind connection that if anything, what has changed in just the last couple of months of trying to learn this thing is just the awareness and discovery of like how uncoordinated I am, <laughs> how much balance it requires. Yeah, like certain muscles that I'm like, oh, my muscles are really big, but if you don't activate them at the right time, it's like how you're describing. Like the ball right. is like way over here. I'm like, wow, that was like a four dollar ball. I need that. I need that back. I need it yeah.
0: over. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. wild. Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. Wow. I, yeah, I would say too. I think that's a testament of investing in things that encourage a bit more longevity. I think that's even a, like the patience. Yeah, I love that because. I'm in the same place. Like I can't look, I cannot play anything that requires agility or just general power impact. Right. Yeah. My body just does not respond to that anymore. So I'm glad that you found something in that. I'm still on the search for that, but uh, I'm not in any rush. Okay. But-
1: Next time we see each other in person, we'll hit up a Top Golf first, or we'll or maybe we'll start with there putt putt, and then we'll just we'll build from
0: there. Putt <laughs> a great place to start. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So the next question I have for you. All right. What is something that people don't talk about enough
1: right now? I think people aren't. Talking about how we can find a sense of unification. I don't hear about mm-hmm. unification as much as I I used to hear about it. It's not just politi- a political statement, although it yeah. could be interpreted, it could be construed as that. I would just say, in terms of corporate dynamics, in terms of teams, in terms of communities, and we. Obviously I know we're going to talk a lot about community but I don't hear a lot about unification anymore. I don't know if that's even a trendy word if I was to really push people to talk about that a little bit more. I don't feel like it's coming up as much as it has
0: many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? You have any idea as to why? You know, coming off
1: the pandemic, I had a sense, and I think any one of us who work in the design profession, obviously we both do in some capacity or technical space. We had a sense that things were going to shift in a pretty dynamic way. And we're still understanding the ramifications of what has happened over the last few years as we've gone through arguably a global pandemic and then where we're at now, which is some will say we're in this endemic stage. But I would say more than ever, there were moments of isolation that we experienced not just individually, but we experienced regionally, like in parts of the world where we knew for the first time in a long time, first time in, I would say, the information age, right? We were going to be essentially independent of one another, right? We were going to have to make our own conscious decisions on a government level or individual level about how we were going to operate and that was for at least 9 months maybe it was longer than that so i knew yeah. that was going to have impact i think a lot of people in the space that consider just our human experience were also thinking of that and probably could articulate the, the ideas behind that even more than i can but my point is when we started coming out of that, some of us were able to come back together and make up for the time that we were apart, right? Immediately we saw like our human tendency to pull us back together in real life and we're trying to make up for lost time. But then I think in terms of the gradual sort of progression for larger communities of folks coming back together, that's looked really different. I think that we have pockets all across the domains where people are like, we used to get together You know, for conferences and some of these conferences and things like that, they're coming back. But yeah, I know there are plenty of people out here who are like, well, I think we could just go away from that now. Everything should be virtual, we're virtual anyway. Why do we really need to be back in person or why do we really need to have the type of, you know, integration or even the type of sharing that we had prior to the pandemic? So I I don't know, I'm going to argue that's potentially one of the reasons. There's something underlying in those currents that's influencing us now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah, I I think that's like really interesting. I think we're humans in general. We are social creatures uh, for better or for worse. And I think like when you're forcibly separated and we've seen just, we've seen a lot of different storylines over time, whether it's political, familial, professional, a lot of that's been questioned. And so I think you're right. I think it's probably because there's so many other like overtones, if you will. We're actually not getting down to that piece of the social portion of it and why it's important. I think what's really interesting about that is I've been doing a few talks. I've just, I've been on, I did my first like in-person conference recently and big part of my focus was actually on the soft skill side, like the social Mm -hmm. part of it. Working with people, I would almost say that what's sort of the folks working remote, it almost feels like there's been, we talk about remote, but there's almost been like a focus on, overly focused on output. And so when you're super focused on output in trying to validate that, I think it's Hey, look, I'm just as efficient working remotely, or maybe people have said, Hey, people aren't efficient working remote. They need to be in the office. And as You you don't talk about the impact that has from a social perspective. So. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. We look at just the general landscape of how we are. I think a lot of things are very sort of self-centered, which I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I think that folks are more empowered to focus on their own beliefs and their own sort of values. With the flip side, there's balance to everything. Yeah, yeah.
1: We swung to the other side. The pendulum is far at the other end. I think starting at an observation level is really good. I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the beauty of these icebreakers. One of the fascinating things, especially for folks that may be listening. One of the things I really appreciate about these icebreakers is that it does take folks out of just the general sort of approach of, hey, this is me. Here are the things that I do. Check it out. There's actually a lot of like undertones that these conversations actually tend to play in the discussion. So I wouldn't be surprised if we came back or maybe for you, maybe some dots started to connect. Yeah. As we progress in the show. Okay. Yeah. So last one what is something that has either surprised you or that you're very proud of looking back over the last year something that's really surprised me something that's really brought me to a place of
1: reflection that's so really mm. i would say interesting way to to phrase the question because the things that surprised me i would say this year have probably in some ways also troubled me and i mm. would say that image and the way image is produced, the way image is, in my opinion, broadcasted or monetized is, it's something that I struggle with right now. I want to say that even for myself personally, I've been surprised at how much of a demand I have felt from multiple audiences, online audiences, sort of online communities. Even beyond that, in real life, people really coming to me and saying, hey, we think your image should be like this because that might help you market your design career better. That might help you market yourself online in a more successful way. And I respect those opinions. I respect the fact that there is a tremendous amount of energy and effort that goes into how you show up online, that goes into how you show up in online communities. I would say that probably became a louder message for me this year more than ever. And what has surprised me is my almost anti stance on doing that. So I've had a almost anti, I would say, attitude towards being in this position where I constantly have to put myself out there in a way that other people expect myself to show up. Yeah. That's the best way I could describe it. I think like at the end of the day, there's like this opportunity to show up how I would like to show up. And maybe that's yeah. always been available to me, but I don't know if I've exercised my privilege. And I do think it's a privilege. I don't know if I've exercised my privilege to show up the way that I've wanted to until this year. So that has surprised me like I said, yeah, Trouble me on one hand that people have said, Hey, we really think you should be this way. This is how you should post. This is how you should share frequency. And I'm like, do I really have to do that in order to get the message that I want to get out there? Do I really have to do that in order to be about my purpose or my mission? And to some degree, yeah, I do think I have to cooperate. I don't want to say that I'm like so anti that I'm not because all of us are to some degree, we think about our image. I just think that more than ever, I've decided to own my image and own my persona. Like I've never owned it in my entire life.
0: Yeah. So I guess there's a progression here, right? So how did you perceive yourself before? What What, made you even think about your image? Was that something that you were seeking like advice on or that unsolicited? Yeah. Good question. Maybe we can start there. Yeah.
1: Unsolicited. Also, I would say it was something that uh, from the very start of writing the book, I wrote this book, superhuman by design back in 2020 from the very get go. I thought my intention was, okay, I have a message. I want to share that message with the world. And it's along the lines of a word you used earlier, Harrison, which is longevity. I was thinking, okay, if I'm going to put something out there, make a contribution to the world in a greater way at this stage of my life, how will I go about doing that? And one of the things that I've come to understand is that by putting that message out in the world, in today's world. I would say there are more and more moments where people suggest to me, whether I ask for it or not, that it should be positioned, that should be proposed, that should be shown in a certain way. And I should show up in a certain type of way. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I ever really had perceived myself as someone who was not influenced by the environment I was in. I had always perceived yeah. myself, and this goes all the way back to college days, perceived myself based on my environment. So for me, that would look like being in school, in college. I wanted to be understood as a Black man who was academically successful, as someone who was also a scholar who was contributing to the community through all of these different scholastic activities. And so the perception that I had of myself was governed by that context. So it influenced Mm -hmm. how I dressed. It influenced to some degree how I felt like I needed to talk at any given point. And there were always these moments where it's, okay, I know that The audience here is going to receive me more if I come across this way. I would say that continued for a very long time through my twenties, definitely through my thirties, once I started working in larger organization, because the amount of time that I would spend during the week within those places, even if I was around other black designers or other black folks in tech. I would say i became shaped more and more by those environments so i started to perceive yeah. myself as someone who fit in those environments and when i was outside of that i would still in a way operate like i was in those environments whether i realized it or mm-hmm. not so i started to actually yeah. perceive myself based on all of these different I would say, elements and stimuli in my environment until 2020 hit. That was the unraveling perception of myself. That was looking in the mirror again and literally saying physically on the outside, so the externals, but then also internally, wow, is this really what I'm about? Is this really who I am? Is this really what I want to say? Is this really how I want to show up? Now, do I have to show up that way? Who's right. been telling me that? Nobody. It's been peers. It's been and, and then when I would think about some of the other things, I would say, yeah, people have been telling me things that have subconsciously sat within me to the point where I'm like, ah, okay, I didn't see you before, but now I see it. So that has yeah. been a journey. It's an abstract, yeah. like
0: very real experience for me. Yep. The best way I can start to describe it that resonates like quite a bit. I definitely went through a period like that's the beauty of at least growing older and hopefully everyone takes the time to have some level of like self-reflection because I think you need to make the time and space to start to understand these types of things. I can remember even going to school even just like small things right like I, I was on the football team I played ball in college and they were all about tradition and one of the things that, that I'm sure that black folks have dealt with is the presentation of their hair and, yeah and I can even remember just, we were a traditional school. We have clean cut guys is the way that you show up. And, and you start seeing the headlines over time of kids with braids before a wrestling meet, getting their hair cut out. It's it's ridiculous yeah. because you almost have the kind of question, like, why do you feel uncomfortable? Like, why is there such adversity to the way that I look? Why is it in spaces that I, I stand out, but you might think of me as a threat. Right. And, or that I don't even do this type of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't that's tell, right. I can't tell you how many times I've walked in the place where people thought I was a security guard or didn't even manage a team. And I think, I think in those moments, I didn't necessarily know how to process it or how to even react, but I think the unfortunate part, like looking back, I, I will say I say this in a few ways, right? I think like, I would say how unfortunate it might be that I didn't react a certain way in that situation. Right. But then I look at myself and I give myself a bit more grace in terms of saying this is actually a lot to break down. And I think to emotionally react in that situation would not necessarily be fair at that point in time, because it was likely things over time that i had within that probably wouldn't reflect well in the situation. (laughs) But I, I do feel that I almost want to be maybe faster. I know for me, like 2020 was also really an important, important year for me. And community building has been really important to just reaffirm. I do belong here and yeah, there isn't one mold. And if anything, I'm going to drive my own trail and do that. And then maybe what you're thinking, like, I don't know <laughs> we even want to understand, like you mentioned like writing the book. that the book play a role in terms of just reconciling with a lot of those past experiences? I think it
1: did. I think that's one of the reasons the book became so important. It was my way initially of working through this authentic story that I wanted to share with others, as opposed to just telling myself a story. Like, I think right. in a way, part of going back to that image comment, we tell ourselves a lot of stories, not to give way off in some deep psychological path here, but we do tell ourselves a lot of stories, self-consciously, yeah. even consciously. And what I wanted to do is get my truth out in a way that was inspiring for a lot of other people. And I think by writing the book, I was able to do something that at the time I was struggling to begin to understand how to do in real life, which was bring that authenticity of who I am, that mm. authenticity of my story to the type of, I would say it's really the type of output that forces the person, right, to be as honest as possible about what they're experiencing. And writing does that, right? That's why I think we will hear about the encouragement to journal from behavioral therapists. That comes from research, right? That comes from an understanding that taking the time to put pen to paper forces us to share our most authentic selves. Now, whether the entirety of that comes into the context of a book remains to be seen, right, depending on how yeah. open, how vulnerable you really want to be, can be. But I do believe that is the mechanism that begins to bring a lot of that authentic self out. And so by writing the book, there was no way I could also miss the moment of starting to see this happen in my daily life, my daily sort of experience with work, my daily sort of experience with appearance, my daily interaction with social media, we started to really push on this, bring your authentic self to the world, bring your authentic self to job. There's no other way to go about doing things anymore
0: other than to be the most authentic self that I can be. Yeah. This was a good question. Clearly there's a lot of, there's a lot we can go deep in, but I want to make sure that we level set on a few things. Okay. Okay. We referenced your book, Superhuman by Design. Maybe give folks just like a high level synopsis of the book and just what were your goals in terms of writing that? Yeah,
1: the book itself is, I would say, a culmination of the first 10 years working in design.
0: And I say the first 10 years
1: because I think it's easier to talk about things in terms of decade. And so when it comes to talking about the first decade of work. One of the things that I wanted to do was put a mile marker in the road and say yeah. if I had to summarize the things that I've learned from the past decade, what would that be? How would it be yeah. shaped? How would it be expressed to others? And I saw it as a really a means to share a message that was inspiring and also full of application, application that I could refer back to. But then also again because it's a mile marker i felt okay 10 years from now whether i'm still in design or i'm working in some other capacity i could look back and say wow this is where that's where i was at that was my mental construct then that's what i had learned then so really it started out as i want to tell my authentic story of what it was like being a black designer over the past two years in the bay area in silicon valley and i wanted to also Challenge myself to find a way to make that story relevant to other folks. I wanted to also figure out a way to draw application from that story, those lessons learned. And then I wanted to challenge myself to put it into a format that people would actually take 15, 20 minutes and flip group because I thought, as a designer, I barely have enough time to read. Some people read fifty to a hundred books a year. I'm amazed with myself if I get through ten really good books through the year. So I knew it had to be something that popped, that grabbed people. So I worked on the design. Again, as a designer, you're putting something out. You want it to be quality. I wanted to express my own creativity through a book about creativity. And then the last thing Harrison I would say is that I wanted it to have some connection to pop culture because I thought yeah. if I bring a book out and it feels like it's touching on transformation it's touching on my personal experience as a black designer in Silicon Valley, as an entrepreneur, all of these different things. And I don't have a a pop culture element. It might be very difficult for people to stay with it. They might pick it up and say, okay, that's really good for Donald. We're happy to read that for 30 seconds because we know him. But for someone else who doesn't know me, they're like, who's Donald Burlock? Not a celebrity, not arguably famous with X number of followers. And it's like, why would someone who knows nothing about me, who's two, three, four degrees removed from my network, which is pretty far. Why would they pick up the book and read it? And I said, I have to talk about something pop culture related. And so superpowers, Uh superheroes, their influence on our culture, their influence in even our corporate communal culture. I said, okay, Uh that's the way, that's the avenue to get the excitement get people into it and for no other reason alone, you might pick it up because you're like, I like superheroes. I like superpowers. I hear about that all the time. Well, people use yeah. it in
0: popular culture. I'll give it a shot. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: For all intense purposes, this is. This podcast is focused on designers and technologists. So why would a designer want to pick it up and what can they take from it? Obviously you're talking about your experiences. What are some like ways that maybe some superpower that designers like could benefit from? Oh, it's really good question because I think the way I position the book to
1: designers as an audience or anyone in the design discipline or design family is different from how this book is positioned for people who have no sort of real understanding of design. And I needed to do both because I knew the core of my network, my professional network is with folks who have design experience, right, or work in the design family. And I knew if I didn't get that core to get behind the work, it wasn't going to elevate beyond that core and begin to influence a lot of other communities. So. I say that to say that for designers, there's a couple of really amazing takeaways. I would say one for anyone who finds themselves changing careers and looking to be in design or looking to have social impact as a person who desires to do it through creativity. This is a fantastic book for you because what it does is frame ways for you to leverage your own creativity and use the design process to put that creativity in motion. So you actually have actionable results. You actually start to create things that have impact. So that's one part of it. I think there's another audience of folks who are getting into design, especially now because design is so interconnected. It's more yeah. human on more dimensions than ever, right? So before we would say, oh, design is human. We would say human-centered design. The dimensionality of that has really become that much more rich, which is exciting. I don't think we can talk about some of the aspects of humanity in really canned, hubris ways. Humanity. It's beautiful. It's messy. And so I think for those of us who are starting out in design. So if you find yourself coming out of a design program anywhere globally, if you find yourself entering into the design profession, and this is your first foray in terms of your career, this is definitely the book you want to get. Because what it'll start to do is give you some foundational pieces, how you can have impact as a designer, as a creative at this stage of your career. And I can give you that because I lived through it and I didn't have that when I transitioned into design, right? I came into design in my mid twenties. I had an engineering background, but I had never worked in the design profession. And I landed in an environment where there was only one other black designer. There were 77 Mm. people. There was one other black person who happened Mm. to be a designer in that environment. And so that was really the beginning of my professional career as a designer. And so. What I'm giving to you is the cheat code, right? Like why not give gems if gems are super cheap? Because that value for you, for those moments that you have where you're asking questions about which path to take, they're there. And for the final group of folks who I would say are like ourselves, right? Designers or someone in the design profession, leading teams, you've had many years of experience. You might actually be 20 years in you're already established as a leader within a profession. I actually have a harder, I won't say harder, it's a more challenging message for those folks. And that has more to do with the superhuman by design ethos that runs throughout the book, the superhuman code. It dives into the type of impact you have as a superhuman. In other words, someone who has been given the opportunity through your superpowers to be more and do more. I challenge those folks to not Rely on the hubris. I'm going to keep coming back to that word. It's the second time I used it, but it's important. You're not in a position as a leader to say wonderful things about diversity and inclusion and belonging. You're not in a position to have conversations about creativity and have conversations about how to stoke creativity within the studio, within the hearts and minds of clients, or just in general without beginning to understand how that's connected to the greater social impact that you're having. So, The conversations on sustainability and creativity and diversity and inclusion and belonging and many of these topics that we're discussing, we're having them in rooms where we also miss the opportunity to have accountability for ourselves as leaders. And so what this book says, you've been given the superpowers and you've been given the opportunity to lead. So let's hold ourselves at a higher level of accountability. And here's how you do it. Here's the invitation to do it. Here's how you do it. And then here are the pieces that will help you have that discussion authentically and not, Mm -hmm. I would say, on a surface level with yourself and with others. It's a way to, what we're trying to do is bring down the intimidation, bring down the insecurity to have those discussions and bring up the authenticity, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like. That's for those folks who are in positions of leadership, who have matured in the design space and they're looking around and they're, ooh, I don't know how to have impact anymore. I got a great name. Mm. I got a great following. I've been known to do some great things in terms of what I put out there in the world. But yet you look at the world and people are questioning what is our impact as designers? For me, is the impetus to write the book. I'm like, I want to contribute as a leader. To seeing significant change for the better in the world. And why wouldn't it start with someone who has spent time understanding Mm. human capacity to be creative in order to do something innovative, in order to do something that leads to social impact and change? In my mind, it should be a designer. It should be someone who has self-understanding of the design discipline, right? Like, why not you? That's what I say. The book is like, why not you, Superhuman?
0: Yeah. I think there's three standout things. Number one, you're writing it as you're doing it, which I think brings in important relevance. The second piece is like, yeah, we're going through a transformational period in terms of what design represents, what the definition of design is. Yeah. As a function. As a function. And I don't as a function, right? Like I, I think one of the things that I really appreciate about this book, right? And the way that we can I don't the way that we should frame it. I think uh, the canon in terms of what design is, specifically around product design, hasn't evolved no. for very long. Time. And I think in terms of leveraging your strengths, right? That's right. That are outside of the, again, outside of the application, outside of the doing, there really hasn't been a ton there. No, and I encourage everyone to pick up this book. And I would encourage folks even to just, if they're looking for something to add to their reading list, this Mm -hmm. is definitely something that, that should be on the beginning of everyone and everyone's reading list, especially as we're into the new year, because this is going to come out in 2023. One thing I wanted to reflect on, right? You mentioned this thing, right? And you mentioned like your mission, Mm -hmm. right? You've been in the game for some time. You started talking about the mission, like what is your mission and how did you get to that point? I think the mission
1: is to see longevity, legacy, to see Mm -hmm. a contribution that goes beyond perhaps something that frames within our traditional understood definition of design as it is today. Yeah, I love that you said that Harrison, because yes, there are more conversations around design now being a bird, right? That's not new. I just think that there's more Mm -hmm. conversations that are happening around design doing more than it ever has. Okay. But I would say when I reflect on my mission right now, because that's a part of bringing a book to life. People are like, what's your purpose behind really bringing the book to life? Yeah, I think in a way it's a mile marker. We talked about that. I think in a way it's a resource, not only for myself to refer back to, but for others who are coming into the game, so to speak, to get understanding. I also think though, it is hopefully a beacon. I would hope that this is the first torch, right? This is when twenty, twenty-five. Even 30 years from now, we look back and there are new means of relaying design to young minds, right? Whatever that looks like. I would hope that this book and the message right from this book would be to what you just said, one of the sources to refer back to. I would think having something that has the longevity because it's focused on what we can do as designers to better the human experience as opposed to only focusing, say for instance, on how we progress a product, how we progress a service, how we progress even a more macro thing like innovation. That's fantastic. I'm more interested in putting messages out there about how people with our types of experience, our types of backgrounds can progress the human experience Because without that, we can clearly see the damage. (laughs) We can clearly see the damage of what's happening. And you can talk about any topic where humans are involved without having this type of dialogue of using design to move us forward. And you can see the challenge, right? You can see what happens with our environments. You can see what happens with our communities. You can see what happens with our interpersonal dynamics culturally, right? I'm not saying design is like the savior. That's not where I'm going with this. What I'm saying is that this is forcing us to have these more long future focused discussions about what we can do now to better the human experience, the human condition years from now. That's the message. That's the contribution I want to give. And I think Mm. we'll see the evidence of it. Hopefully when I get to that next mile marker, like 20 years of career later, we look back and we look at 2020 when the book came out and I'll have an opportunity to see, was that part of something that was a lot bigger? Did that add to this growing message Mm. of people who are trying to say, Hey, let's do something for our human experience. Let's do something for our uh, human condition. Let's not just design the next version 15
0: of fill in the blank um,
1: code, <laughs> <your> product.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, like you think about like, yeah, we started talking about design as, yeah. as like a verb, right? Like the output of that is actually very ephemeral. Like it doesn't last. Version 16 will be version 17, right? Yeah. What was Photoshop yesterday is now Figma and tomorrow it's going to be something else. That's it. So I love that you're taking like this longer term approach, because if you put your stock into something that is fleeting, you know, that's not necessarily accounting for the longer term effects. So That's it.
1: That's it. You nailed it.
0: I appreciate you taking us through that. Yeah. Hey, look, man, we're at time. Oh,
1: so soon. This this
0: one's a great... (laughs) I know. This is a great conversation. Oh, Harrison. Maybe I'll have you go. back on the show for like part two. Right, another
1: hour. We were just. Yeah. I mean, man, we're yeah. Really, we're in, in it. We're in it right now, man. I'm like, strapped in. We're like in the hemispheres. So, this is amazing. Yeah. I hate to. I hate that it's coming too. I hope the audience feels that way too, but I'm like, ah, I can keep going. This is awesome.
0: Yeah. Hey, look, we'll have to have you on again. Thanks. Harris. I appreciate you coming on as we finally made this happen. We made it happen. Um, Thank you.
1: Thank you. We made it happen. Yeah, seriously. Really yeah. Funny.
0: So look, how can folks purchase the book? How can they follow up with you? Just let us know where we can find you on the internets.
1: Yeah. Easy Sway is at Mr. Burlock on IG and All the links that'll take you to getting books or checking out more about the book are right there. Obviously the book is on Amazon, but find me on Mr. Burlock. I do respond to folks and. Typically what I do is I ask people to buy the book, flip through it a little bit, and then let's engage in a conversation. I think yeah. it just serves as a way to, to begin the conversation versus I think sometimes people knock on the door and I try to be humble and respond to as many responses and questions as possible. But I'm like the book is a great starting point and it's like, it's cheap. It's relatively yeah. cheap.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, we'll include links to all of that in the okay. show notes, so listeners can easily access that. Again, thanks so much, and good luck on that on the golf game. Yes, enjoy <laughs> the weather, and until next time, thanks, Dom. Thank you. Well, that concludes the show. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That is a huge way to show your support, and it really helps us reach more people and grow our following. By the way, we release a new episode every two weeks. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn or YouTube at Technically Speaking HW. Again, thanks so much and I'll see you next time. This has been a production of Technically Speaking Media.